where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. It's Terrifying Tuesday, and you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and even YouTube today. Well, we'll see if we make it through. <laughs> then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and sometimes on BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. handouts for the class finally you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com he's a little slow right now but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back phones are on today i think 229-469-0335 i need to check those out today but only for registered numbers we only accept calls from regular known listeners if you wish to call in you must have been uh, you know a known class member participating in chats on a regular basis then you can send us an email and we'll uh, we'll hook you up if you find our classes helpful please click the thumbs up like subscribe and share it with those you think could benefit from it just warn them joe is an acquired taste and he's going to taste kind of weird today so uh, this show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising, so we are not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we ask for your participation on a value-for-value -value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, your show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. I Let's made see it through one. Concord with <clears throat> Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. We're going to do our best. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to have to hit the ground running here today, but... Um... I'm already watching weird stuff happening on my screens today. So eh, hopefully we make it um, for Charlie's sake real quick. Excuse me, folks, but you know, he's the engineer. He, he takes care of these things. Charlie is weird. Your camera was perfectly in sync with you, but mine had a delay and it still has just a little bit of what. So it's kind of weird um, folks that shouldn't be happening in the studio. Yes. It's one of those days. All right. We're going to have to just get into this because this is a long class today. Halloween, the night of majority of those who claim to believe in the Messiah conform to the world. Not just to the world, but to the wrong side of the world. Um, for those of you who um, have not already done so, I published this yesterday. Your homework for today, you know, your class notes and everything. Uh, you go to the theroadtoconcord.com. You'll find it, 1031-2023 show notes, The Origins of Halloween. This is one of the most lengthy show notes I've put up for you so far. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. There's slideshows, there's articles. I think, I don't know, I might even have one video in there. A lot of history in there for us today. We're going to have to work our way through this in a rather <clears throat> expedient manner or we're not going to make it through today. 
<clears throat> and my voice is not going to help me. All right. We are, this is, this is something that I get a kick out of a Christian holiday, Halloween, all hallows Eve. Yes, but not quite says we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us run with perseverance the race that sets before us hebrews 12 1 i'm imagining that what they mean by the cloud of witnesses or the dead you know the dead spirits of those who have passed beyond the problem is that's not what the bible teaches this great cloud of witnesses are angelic beings in hebrews 12 1 that's divine counsel worldview and um spirit world unseen realm language right there folks so yeah if you're a believer, today is liable to be a bit of a rough class for you. So just hang tight. <clears throat> so from Christianity.com, is the origin of Halloween rooted in a pagan holiday? What is the true origin or what is the true Halloween origin? Still, while Halloween's origins are Christian, as with many religious occasions, traditions over the years have commingled and today's Halloween seems to celebrate not only the departed saints and souls, but also other customs from the medieval to the secular. I think we better read through this one for a little bit real quick. Here's the story from Christianity.com. We've already read through part of that. It says, it's that time of year again when a temporary costume shop starts sprouting up in the strip malls. Huge bags of candy begin lining store shelves and songs like Monster Mash feel like they're on repeat everywhere you go. It says, but some Christians, concerned about whether the holiday is pagan in origin, wonder if it's acceptable to celebrate Halloween at all, given the plethora of macabre costumes, fake blood, witches, ghouls, decorating both homes and storefronts. Many ask, should we celebrate Halloween in our family? And if so, how can we do it in a way that doesn't conflict with our faith? They say, first, let's address the big question. Is the origin of Halloween rooted in a pagan holiday? What is the origin of Halloween? Halloween, according to this site, is commingled word from compound word from all hallows and even or eve or an a Scottish word for evening. And it means to, you know, hollow means to make holy. So Halloween is meant to refer to the evening before All Holies Day, also known as All Saints Day, a religious holiday in the Roman Catholic and many Protestant denominations of Christianity in honor of Christians who have died and called saints and gone to heaven. And then they give you a little history. He says, when did Halloween begin? And they go through their history. The reason I wanted to read this right here is they're justifying a Christian celebration of Halloween. <clears throat> I've done a deep dive into this subject. I have some serious questions as to whether or not a believer should be doing this. The origins and history of Halloween, as that I can determine them. And I've done some homework on this. I didn't just read from one source. Let me show you what I've found in the last couple of last week or two. And when I study folks, I study quick and hard. It, 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 everything you're about to see today came, I put it together in two days. So this is from Halladapi.com. says the ancient history of Halloween. Tracing the origin of Halloween is not easy. The roots of our scary holiday go back thousands of years, nearly to the time of Christ. I'm sorry if that got through. I, I muted the button here, make, trying to make it as my own uh, mute button. Hopefully it worked for y'all. This says, I'm still reading this site now, and this is the part I want to focus on. It says, as a result of this, uh, you know, the, the ancient history, 
it is impossible to actually know exactly how it originated and the steps it went through to get the modern traditions of parties, trick-or-treating, and the costume-filled celebrations we enjoy today. Nevertheless, there are pretty clear indications of these roots if we follow what is known of the historical Halloween back through the centuries. It all began with the Celtic people in what is now Britain, Ireland, and France. I wanted to put that up there because they are correct in this, in this much. It's going to be very difficult to trace this. However, when you do, you get a fairly good idea of what happened. So let's get started. As with most things I do, definitions first, right? Okay, from Britannica.com, online encyclopedia. Halloween, it's a contraction of All Hallows' Eve, a holiday observed on October 31st, the evening before All Saints or Hallows' Day. Celebration marked the day before the Western Christian Feast of All Saints and initiates the season of All Hallows' Tide which lasts three days and concludes with All Souls Day. In much of Europe and most of North America, observance of Halloween is largely non-religious. Halloween has been around for more than a thousand years. Originally a religious observance, it became increasingly secular over the centuries until its religious trappings all but disappear. Today, Halloween is considered a holiday for dress-up and fun, especially for children. So, the Catholic origins of Halloween. I am not bashing individual Catholics today. Am I going to bash the institution, the religion, the trappings of the church? Yeah, dang skippy I am. Halloween's Catholic? Yes. Oh, wow. It is Catholic. Halloween, and I'm going to, little spoiler alert real quick. Halloween was not a Christian holiday until All Saints Day arrived in the United Kingdom, Ireland, Britain, and Scotland. And then Halloween was invented, and it, 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 we're going to get there, and I'm going to show you how it happened today and why. We're going to cover that. But I am not bashing an individual believer, but the Catholic Church itself is apostate, and I have serious problems with it. This is one of them today, folks. From History.com, how the early Catholic Church Christianized Halloween. After the Romans conquered ancient Celtic realms, pagan traditions were adopted into a holiday honoring Catholic saints. Halloween may be a secular affair today, dominated by candy, costumes, and trick-or-treating, but the holiday is rooted in an annual Celtic pagan festival called Samhain or Samhain. That was the appro- it was appropriated by the early Catholic Church some 1200 years ago. From Vatican News. Notice the source I'm using from the Vatican News. The Catholic roots of Halloween, the vigil of All Saints Day. While some people have connected Halloween to earlier pagan celebrations of the new year, Halloween actually has significant Catholic roots. Not true. The name itself comes from All Hallows' Eve, that is, the vigil of All Saints Day, when Catholics remember those who have gone before us to enter our heavenly home. Immediately afterwards, on November 2nd, the church commemorates all the faithful departed still detained in purgatory and prays and suffrage to them. This is from The Levin, the official newspaper of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. This is how Halloween can be redeemed. 
Until the 9th century, the church celebrated the popular feast of all saints on May 13th. And then the following day was another, you know, All Saints and All Souls Day. It's during the season of joy after the resurrection. This is the light in which we see all the faithful who have died, especially those who witness to Christ. It's an inspiration. In, eight, in, in the year 835 AD, the date was deliberately changed to November 1st to Christianize the existing pagan time for remembering the dead, to bring light to the darkness and hope the most basic of human fears. This is a Catholic source telling you they moved their celebration of All Souls Day to November 1st to Christianize a pagan holiday. That's an admission, folks. Now, they're saying they're going to bring it from the darkness to the light. We're going to address this here in a little bit. But this is a Christian, this is a Catholic source admitting that they deliberately moved things around to Christianize a pagan holiday. Now, back to history.com. It's, this article is Halloween 2023. All of this stuff is in your show notes, folks. All of these links, you can go to theroadtoconcord.com, look up today's show notes. All of these links are in there for you. All, this is all pull quotes from these sort sites. All Saints Day. On May 13th, A.D., 609. May 13th, 609 A.D., Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs, and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to November 1st. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into the Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with the supplanted older Celtic rites. In AD 1000, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed that today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festivals of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. Folks, oh my gosh, are there problems here. First of all, like when you dedicate the Pantheon. Uh, all right, I'm a Bible believer. I follow the rule book, the scriptures, as best I understand them. We're going to be talking about this tomorrow in their context, in their original context. Theology first, spiritual world first, material world second. What you have been reading here, now history.com explains in, in more detail. What you've been reading here is Catholic admission that they just Christianized a pagan holiday. If you understand the unseen world, the spirit world, they don't see time the same way we do. You can change it all you want. It, 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 I, the best example I have for you is there's two. When Aaron makes the bull, he tells Israel, Israel, behold, Yahweh, the Elohim, you know, your God that brought you out of Israel. You know, out of Egypt, rather. And Yahweh wants to kill him for all that. He's going to go exterminate him. Well, I thought the Aaron's saying, Yahweh, what's wrong with that? He's doing it a pagan way. And then the Samaritan woman at the well, Samaria, they, they created the bulls again, and they made two places to worship Yahweh, two temple sites, in contradiction to Scripture. And when she's talking to Jesus at the well, she goes, you know, we're waiting for the Messiah. And he says, you Samaritans don't know what you worship. Well, they're following the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's what the Samaritans kept. That was their Torah. 
they thought, but they were doing it their way. They changed the way they were told to worship. And Jesus tells her, you don't know what you worship. She thought she was worshiping Yahweh, waiting for the Messiah. And here's the Messiah telling her to her face, you're not worshiping the Father. You you have no idea what you're worshiping. We need to be really careful with this if we're believers. This picture of Pope Gregory I, the Great, this is where a lot of this trouble starts. From history.com again, how the early Catholic Church Christianized Halloween. This is a second article from history.com. The importance of pre-Christian customs to people live uh, people's lives apparently wasn't lost upon the early Catholic Church. Pope Gregory I, also known as Saint Gregory the Great, who headed the church from AD 590 to 604, advised, I left that in blue because that's a hyperlink we're going to look at in a minute, advised a missionary going to England that instead of trying to do away with the religious customs of the non-Christian peoples, they should simply convert them to Christian religious purposes. For example, the site of a pagan temple could be converted to become a Christian church, Soup says. In that fashion, some way, the Celtic dark supernatural festival eventually was converted and given a Christian context. Isn't there another religion that does this? Islam? No, not Islam. Yeah, they do. Mm, no, Islam purges all other religious sites. Well, yeah, but they use those religious sites like they will wipe out a church and put a mosque there. Oh, yeah, but they level it. They break well, it to well, the ground, level it, and build true. over top of it. They don't convert it. They just wipe it out exactly. and replace it. Okay, yeah, well, right. A little bit different. Yeah, significantly different. Um, so what we have here, folks, this is a copy of the letter. It's not easy to read on your screen, but this is... Um, Gregory the First, letter to Abbot Melitus, Epistola 76, PL 77, 1215, 1216. Intro, was uh, about to join St. Augustine at Canterbury on the mission to England. How to deal with the pagan culture and its symbols. Gregory the First, 59604, recommends a policy of acculturation. In other words, just absorb it. Okay. If you're a Bible believer, do you remember the, the Jerusalem council? They get together and said, okay, well, the pagans got to do these four things before they can come into the synagogue. You know, they got to quit with the sexual immorality, quit strangling animals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people look at that and they say, well, that's Noahide laws. That's all the pagans, you know, that's all the Gentiles have to do to become a Christian. That is not what's going on in that passage of the Bible. If you keep reading, it says, and that way they'll get to hear Moses who's been preached every Sabbath, you know, from whatever, whatever. This were the, these were the four things that they had to quit doing right away to get into the synagogue. And then they would hear Moses preached and they would learn the rest of the way to do things. They were not to keep their pagan practices. They were to do away with them. That has not changed. That's New Testament teaching, folks. That's New Testament teaching you know, supposedly Christianity. But apparently, the Catholic Church doesn't care about the rule book. Remember, the Catholic Church thinks it's over the rule book, has authority over Scripture. I've brought to you passages where they've said that. Their proof is that they moved the Sabbath to Sunday. And they claim that that proves that the Catholic Church has authority over Scripture. I've shown you those passages from the diocese before. So right here, what we have is the Pope telling the bishops and all, 
just go ahead and incorporate that pagan stuff into our into our religion. I'm quoting from an NASB Bible right now. This is Numbers 33:52. This is Yahweh talking. You shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from you and destroy all their idolatrous sculptures, destroy all their cast metal images, and eliminate all their high places. You know what the high place is? Altar, places of worship. You are to eliminate them, not incorporate them, eliminate them. Deuteronomy 12, verse 2 through 5. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you are going to dispose serve their gods. That's their altars, their synagogues, their temples. On the high mountains, on the hills, and under every leafy tree. Destroy them. And you shall tear down their altars and smash their memorial stones to pieces and burn their ashram in the fire. Those are the poles, wooden like a totem pole. And cut to pieces the carved images of their gods, and you shall eliminate their name from that place. You shall not act this way toward the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place where the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and you shall come there. That is a clear commandment not to worship Yahweh the way that the pagans worship their gods. That commandment has not changed. It was never changed. It was never abrogated. It was never done away with. That's not legalism. That's a commandment from Yahweh in the Bible to all those who worship him. Deuteronomy 12, verses 29 through 32. When the Lord your God cuts off from you the nations which you are going to dispossess, and you dispossess them and live in their land, be careful that you are not ensnared to follow them. After they are destroyed from your presence, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I may also do likewise? You shall not behave this way toward the Lord your God, because every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire for their gods. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to or take away from it add to or take anything away from it. The Catholic Church has done that repeatedly. Jesus says, don't call anyone father. And what do you call a priest in the Catholic Church? Father. Jesus said, you are not to have a hierarchy with one person over another like a pope. And what has the Catholic Church done? Establish the hierarchy in direct contradiction to Jesus's command. Yahweh tells us, the Torah, the living word, you know, Jesus tells us don't worship in the ways the pagans worship. What have we seen already today? A letter from the Pope telling his bishops to just incorporate their worship ways into the Catholicism. That is another direct violation of a commandment from Yahweh. That is apostasy. That's the definition of apostasy. This is how you get Mary worship. This is how you get worship of the saints. This is how you get worship of dead people and you pray into dead people and all this other good stuff. You are to pray to the Father and Son only. Only. What do you think Hail Mary is on your rosary? It's a prayer to a dead woman. In our timeline, where we are at right now, Mary is in the ground. She does not exist. She has not been yet resurrected. 
Now I know Paul says to, to be absent the bodies to be with the Lord. That's a complicated verse. Paul is a tough one to understand. I do not think he's talking about, there's a lots of scripture that say when you die, you just cease to exist. You don't dream, you don't think, you cease. Which, by the way, all these um, near-death experiences, we're going to have to have a real close talk about them one day. I don't know what to make of them. There are ways that there are ways to look at this that it's, it's a whole different show. But the point here is Catholic Church incorporated paganism. Halloween, Christmas, Easter, New Year's, New Year's, Valentine's Day, others, all pagan in origin. All of them. Everyone. This is a depiction of King Hosea. So 2 Kings 23, verses 14 through 15. He also smashed to pieces the memorial stones and cut down the ashram and filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who misled Israel into sin, had made, even that altar and the high place he tore down. Then he burned the high place, ground the remains to dust, and burned the Asherah. Jeroboam did exactly what he was supposed to have done. He just didn't go all the way. He didn't complete it. But he was tearing down the northern kingdom's altars and pagan worship sites. He was purging the northern kingdom of its pagan ways. The pagan roots of Halloween. Celtic Ireland holds the origin of Halloween. This is a Sam, Sam, I can't say it That's again. That's Samhain. Samhain. Eh, you don't pronounce that the same way we do English. But it's all Hallow's Eve, right? Folks, these th this is these are from pagan websites. These pictures are from pagan websites. Samhain blessings and Happy Halloween. Notice even the pagans are happy to merge that. Notice what's down in the corner of that, pagansworld.org. Doesn't that have a very Catholic religious feel to it? You ever been inside a Catholic church with all the lit candles at the altar? The wheel has turned, the veil has thinned, blessed Samhain. The veil has thinned? Hmm. It, it, hmm. Notice the star, the pentagram in the background. History.com, Sam Wynn, um, a, a Gaelic word pronounced Samhain. Or I'm, I'm not going to pronounce this right today. It's a pagan religious festival originated from the ancient Celtic spiritual tradition, tradition. It is usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Celebrants believe that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Samhain, allowing more interaction between humans and denizens of the other world. We're going to read through parts of this one. This is the page, history.com. We just read through that. Since it's an ancient Celtic marked, uh, Samhain is the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals taking place at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. During this time of year, hearth fires in the family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. After the harvest work was complete, celebrants joined with Druid priests, we'll come back to them, to light a community fire using a wheel that caused friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. 
Cattle were sacrificed and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight the hearth. Early texts present Samhain as mandatory celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings and chieftains. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods, usually illness or death. There was also a military aspect to Samhain in Ireland with holiday thrones prepared for commanders of soldiers. Anyone who committed a crime used their weapons during the celebration faced a death sentence. Some documents mention six days of drinking alcohol to excess, typically mead, beer, along with gluttonous feasts. Um, for those of you who know your scriptures and know them pretty well, there are echoes of the Judeo-Christian faith in that right there. Uh, remember, paganism is often, for the most part, it's just an apostasy of the original faith under Adam and Eve that you just don't recognize anymore. Paganism, before the birth of Christ, Celts had their own religion. Paganism, not Christianity. Definition, what is pagan? We only want the historical context here. So this is, this is from dictionary.com. It says, in historical context, one of the people or community observing a polytheistic religion as the ancient Romans and Greeks. In historical context, the adjective is of or relating to pagans. So this is, they're polytheists. Origin of pagan, the word from dictionary.com. First recorded in 1325 to 1375. It's a Middle English word from the medieval Latin and Latin paganus, worshipers of false gods. Originally, it was military slang. It meant civilian, not a soldier or or of, not a soldier of Christ. In the Latin, it means peasant. Noun uses paganus, rural civilian, derivative of pagus, village rural district. But it goes back to somebody who is worshiping a false god. So this is what a pagan is. Synonym study for pagan. I, I just I want you to get an idea of this. Heathen and pagan are primarily historic terms that were applied pejoratively, meaning as an insult, especially by people who were Christian, Jew, or Muslim. That's because all three of them are from the same teaching, the Bible. Muslim is just so apostate, we can't recognize it anymore. Christianity is in the middle between the, Judeus, the Judaism and, and, and apostasy of Muslims. The Jewish uh, apostasy today goes kind of to the left of that. But all of these three faiths today, none of them are as, they're not true to scriptures like they should be. But anyway, so to the peoples who were not members of one of these three monotheistic religions, they're referred to as pagans or heathens. A heathen ref, uh, referred especially to the peoples and cultures of primitive or ancient tribes throughout the heart and throughout and uh, harbor un, unenlightened barbaric idol worships, uh, idol worshipers, heathen rites, heathen idols, et cetera, et cetera. Pagan, although sometimes applied similarly to those tribes, was more often used to refer specifically to the ancient Greeks and Romans who worshipped the multiple gods and goddesses said to dwell on Mount Olympus, such as Zeus and Athena, called Jupiter and Minerva by the Romans. Same gods, different names. The term was applied to their beliefs and culture as well, a pagan ritual and a pagan civilization, etc., etc. Contemporary paganism, having evolved and expanded in Europe and North America since the 20th century, includes adherents of diverse groups that hold various beliefs, which may focus, for example, on the divinity of nature, Gaiism, of the planet Earth, and which may, may be a pantheistic or polytheistic, 
In modern English, heathen remains a term that can be offensive, used to accuse someone of being unenlightened or irreligious. Pagan, however, is increasingly a neutral description of certain existing and emerging religious movements. So it's a broad, broad umbrella. Time to introduce you to the Celts, because this is where Halloween comes from. I snagged this from, uh, the following is going to be from a, largely from a, uh, well, this comes from Word, Nick. Let's do this first. What do we mean by Celt? In this case, it's the, a member of one of the people's speaking languages akin to those of Wales, Ireland, Highlands, and Scotland, and Brittany, and constituting a branch or principal division of the Indo-European family. Wales is important, folks. We're going to come back to that. Make a note of that. From the Encyclopedia Britannica, a Celt, also spelled Celt, K-E-L-T, it's a Latin Celta, plural of Celte, a member of an early Indo-European people who, from the second millennia BCE to the first century BCE, spread over much of Europe. Their tribes and groups eventually ranged from the British Isles and north of Spain to as far as Transylvania, the Black Sea, coast, and Galatia in Anatolia, where in part absorbed into the Roman Empire as Britons, Gauls, Boi, Galatians, and Celtiberians. Linguistically, they survive in the modern Celtic speaker of Ireland, higher uh, Highland Scotland, the Isles of Man, Wales, and Brit Brittany. Notice that the Celts give us the Galatians, uh, they give us the Gauls, the Britons, the Boi. Those are all the same people by different names. So here, We've got parts of a slideshow I want to show you. It's important to know who the Celts are. There's a reason I'm going here. This is all connected to Halloween. Stick with me. So who were they? The Iron Age is the age of the Celt in Britain. Over the 500 or so years leading up to the first Roman invasion, a Celtic culture established itself throughout the British Isles. Who were the Celts? For a start, the concept of Celtic people in modern or and somewhat romantic uh, reinterpretation of history, the Celts were a warring tribe who certainly wouldn't have uh, seen themselves as one people at the time because they were, it's tribalism. There's more than one little tribe going on there. Where did they come from? What we do know is that the people we call Celts gradually infiltrated Britain over the course of centuries between about 500 and 100 B.C. There was probably never an organized Celtic invasion. For one thing, the Celts were so fragmented and given to fighting amongst themselves that the idea of a concerted invasion would have been ludicrous. The Celts were a group of people loosely tied by similar language, religion, and cultural expression. That's important. They were not centrally governed and quite as happy to fight each other as any non-Celt. They were warriors living for the glories of battle and plunder. They were also the people who brought ironworking to the British Isles. Here's a picture of your Celts. Basically, Europe. Hmm. And eventually into Rome, Galatia. This is important, folks. It says, look, under the Celtic type, we usually mean owner of red hair, blue eyes, and blonde, almost white face covered with freckles. This is important, too. This is the 2% of Europe's population, mostly inhabitants of the British Isles, but this appearance was typical of the Celts in the heyday of their civilization. In the time of Herodotus, the Greeks had no trouble um, 
no trouble out of the Celts among the other barbarians on national traits. High growth, light skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, and developed muscles. According to the researchers, this type of appearance is more related to the entire population and among most remarkable of its class, leaders and free soldiers. This is, I don't want to get into the, the ethnicity wars here. This is not, let's stick with language on this. Let's not dwell on the fact that these are white folks, okay? Their clothing, the Celts existed rather peculiar idea of uniform and weapons. The ancient Greek historian Polybius said that some Celts troops rushed into battle naked, but with arms. At the heart of this ancient Celtic tradition was the idea that this was a way you call for protection of the divine powers. Moreover, such a spectacular demonstration of, of output served as military valor, which was among the Celts in the first place. Favorite spoils of war of the Celts were the severed heads of the worthy foe. They're barbaric people. They're, they're rough, tough. Their mode of life. The Celts were distinguished by reverence expressed by the word. So the Druid and the Philida was uh, at the premium. We'll get, come to the Druids. Killing or harming the Druids and Philida was considered the greatest disgrace and a serious crime. For the ancient Irish, every sickness was equivalent to death. So the royal throne, in any case, could not take a cripple or mentally ill person. Uh, that's very similar to animals without blemish. There's reasons for some of this stuff. If you know what you're looking for, you're going to start seeing rhymes and echoes of something going on here. During the meal, great company, uh, the great company sat in a circle. The Celts sat on the ground or spread the furs. Sometimes they had a low table, periodically organized meetings in the holidays. They were accompanied by merrymaking, primary equestrian competitions in Mart, exchange and communication of every kind. There's more similarities there, too. Religion of the Celts, Druidism. Druidry today is one of the most mysterious ancient religious and magical systems. Written information about it, which is very little, remains. The duties of the Druids was to conduct religious worship, which are sometimes accompanied by human sacrifice, partly associated with divination. Many rites were confined to the worship of the sacred oak and mistletoe. We know a large number of Celt gods. Most of them were apparently local and tribal gods and were patrons of the tribe. Some deities were common in the Celtic tribes. It is the gods Belenus, Camolius, Amogius, and others. Moigus was a god of wisdom and eloquence. Belenus, a god of war. In addition to the gods, Celts believed in many spirits, fairies, elves, and monsters. Sacrifice. Underground deity of an ancient Celt, uh, Celt uh, cruelty did not concede uh, concede the Aztec gods. Um, the Druids were human sacrifices. They, they were into human sacrifices. People were sacrificed in order to gain the patronage of higher powers in the long struggle with the Romans. In addition, these sacrifices had been used for divination. Chosen for the slaughter, a uh, man stabbed in the back edge of the sword and then in his dying convulsions predicted what would happen in the future. According to other sources in the ritual of human sacrifices, variations existed among the Celts. For example, the usual gifts gods or, you know, looked like burning at the dilution of straw and branches of the stake. And for some reason, it was impossible to, to dissolve Druid's prisoners sentenced to death in special ceremonial bowels it, with acid and stuff. Here's part of what I wanted to show you here. The Wicker Man. I've, I've read many times that your jack-o'-lantern comes from putting somebody inside a hollowed out tree and burning it. Jack in the lantern, the tree being the lantern, Jack being the person. 
some of the sites I gave you, they say that the pumpkins and stuff were hollowed out, put candles in there to light their way at night when they were running around for their celebrations. It, I think that somewhere in the middle, but pay attention to this because this is a known custom. For the first time, this kind of sacrifice Celtic Druids began to be used, which placing the victim in a cage in the form of a human figure from a flexible willow twigs and burn it either as a human sacrifice to the gods or as punishment for a high degree of seriousness of offense. Later, this ritual borrowed from the British who cannot remember what it was actually you know, called originally, and thus reinterpreted it its own way, Wicker Man. It is noteworthy that the British and later the followers of neo-paganism, Wiccans, abandoned the burning living beings inside the, the cell. By the way, some even suggest that it is here in our in spring traditions, Russian customs of burning watching winter effigy of Massalentius. I'm not reading these too well, folks. I'm not. But here's the picture if you can see the um, if you can see this uh, chalkboard today. Picture on the left is an older drawing. They built a huge statue in the in the form of a man and they filled it full of people and then they would just burn them, which is what you have to the right. Um again, this is a tree, you know, you built the statue out of trees and then you put the people in it and burn them. Then the sunset, I'm not going to read this one. This is just where Julius Caesar arrived in Britain in 55 and 54 BC. And slowly the Celts were subdued by the Romans. Why did I go through all that crap? Well, here's why. We're talking about Halloween, right? All right, before we get going, Halloween, Christianity, paganism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is where it gets good. This is where it's good to me. If you don't understand history, you don't understand today. You don't know what's driving it. So this is where we're going to go next. And this is why I wanted you to understand a little bit about the Celts. This is from EnsignMessage.com, the Hebrew-Celtic connection. In the 8th century BC, the Assyrian Empire was at its peak, and its armies threatened the nations on the eastern Mediterranean seaboard, including Israel. The Assyrians were a brutal, fearsome people, the most terrible, perhaps, in all the Earth's history. This is where you get your Islamic terrorists from, folks. This is the people of Jonathan Kahn's Harbinger. He goes over this history fairly well in that book. This is talking about right before the Northern Kingdom is attacked and dispersed into the nations and destroyed and exported. Let's say. They conquered lands, the conquered lands were literally plundered of everything of value, even people who were taken to slavery in foreign lands. The wall murals of the Assyrians, some of which now bedeck the British museums in London, depict scenes of horrible savagery and torture. Men were sometimes skinned alive or impaled on poles to slowly die outside the gates of the city. Inhabitants of Palestine in those days were well aware that Assyria would only too soon conduct a similar brutal warfare against the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. Knowing this, would not large numbers of Israelites migrate westward by land and sea to find safety for themselves and their families outside of the Assyrian sphere of influence? In fact, we know they did. So how's this connected to everything? Well, continued from this site, historical evidence indicates that that did indeed happen. The authoritative dictionary of the Gospels relates uh, large numbers of Israelites had been carried away, captive by the Assyrians and Babylonians, but a much larger dispersion was due to the voluntary immigration, volume one, page 692. 
Yes, more Israelites emigrated, migrated voluntarily out of Palestine than even the large numbers who were taken away in Assyria and Babylonian captive, uh, captivities. As it became clear that an invasion and conquest by Assyria was imminent, Hebrews and Phoenicians emigrated westward to distant lands by the many hundreds of thousands, forming the foundation of European civilization. These historical facts, and folks, this is about 800 BC. The Celts show up around 500 BC, remember? So you got about 300 year period for this to happen. These historical facts have been known for centuries and a plethora of books by leading historians has documented the Phoenician origin of Western civilization. In actual fact, the Hebrew language is a Phoenician dialect and the two are virtually identical. And we found Phoenician uh, Hebrew writings in the United States. It's part of why our Mormon friends developed their thinking and ideology. In actual fact, the Hebrew language, okay, we got that. As we will, we will see, a great number of the Phoenician, in, in quotation marks, speaking early European colonists can be shown to be Hebrew. Famed historian George Rawlson commented that the Tyrannius, the Phoenicians, another by another name, conceded to the Israelites a participation in the traffic which they had carried on for so long at a time when the nations of the West. Two trading fleets were formed. This is 1 Kings 9.27 and 10.22, to which each of the two nations contributed both ships and men. Phoenicia, pages 101 and 102. That's a book. From these trading colonies grew and developed early European cities. Stop right here. Phoenicia was conquered by the kingdom of David. And the Phoenicians worked for David from that point forward. Okay, this is going to be short this is going to be a couple hundred years before where is this going to be around 900 1900 bc david and solomon the greatest kingdom of the middle east in in ancient times that has been erased from history the only place you're going to find it is in the bible historians write it out they just leave it out they it's a blank space in history i wonder why but we have archaeological evidence that the bible is correct David and his navies were using the Phoenicians, and this is largely with the tribe of Dan and, and another tribe. I can't remember which one it was, but mostly Dan, because Dan's the seagoer, the seafaring people. Well, these folks travel the world, and there's even a, a mined out uh, ore mine up in the uh, Great Lakes with Phoenician, Hebrew, and I forget, I think it's there's another language there too, but their stones are written they write them the writing on the corner of the stones. They do the same writing, but in three different languages. Well, there, it is largely believed now that that mine was the primary source of the metals used for the bronze in the making of the first temple. So they got all the way to what we think of as the new world. They traveled the world. We have archaeological evidence that the Phoenician Navy under, under King David with the Danites traveled all the way to the Solomon Islands. They got around, Jack. And it was very, in the Bible talks about them going to um, Tyree and um, oh, the peninsula of something or other begins with an I, uh, Iberian Peninsula. This is in the, this is in the Bible. That's, that's around um, Gibraltar in the, in the southwest corners of Spain. And from there, they marched themselves up to England which the Bible calls the Isles of Far Off or the Isles on the, of the shore of the sea. That's Britain. 
in the Bible. We know this. We, we know that as a fact. Well, I told you we would come back to the Welsh, you know, how this, the, the Celt people spoke the language of the Welsh. We know as a fact that the Welsh part of England, Britain, was established 700 BC by immigrants from Israel, the nation of Israel, the Holy Land. They were Hebrews. So when the Celts show up speaking a language very similar to that, if you understand ancient times when you trace people not by their skin color, but by their language, it tells you where the Celts came from. This is important in understanding your history. This is also important to understanding where you're going to get Halloween from. The Celtic people can be traced back to the Hebrews by linguistic links, religious links, archaeological links, geographic links, historic links, prophetic links. But how is the destruction of the Northern Kingdom linked to the Celts and paganism? Well, Arabs, uh, Abraham's seed, heirs of the promise. You think this hasn't got anything to do with Halloween? Oh, oh, nay, nay. It's got everything to do with Halloween and paganism and, and the apostasy of our faith. It's all connected. Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. And said, by myself I have sworn, this is the angel of the Lord, this is um, either Yahweh or Yeshua before he becomes a man. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. A couple of things here real quick. The Hebrew people, historically, very, very fruitful. Lots of children. And because Hebrews value their children and pagans sacrifice to them, the Hebrews, when they are faithful, tend to multiply fast. This is in keeping with the promise that they're going to be uncountable. Well, you can count the number of Jews in the world today. Hold on. A lot of people think, well, you know, that uh, the countless seed has already been fulfilled and then it's been whittled down to, you know, six, six seven, eight million Jews. In the no, 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 no. This is Hebrews, not Jews. This is all the descendants of Abraham. That's going to include the Ishmaelites, the Arabs. Yeah, it includes many peoples. But in this case, the religious aspect is going to be traced through Isaac. So hold on to that. That's where all the major promises are going to go to. You're going to possess the gates of your enemies. That means you take over the lands in which you're going to be pushed and, and sent. You will eventually be the ruler of those areas, which is exactly how the Scythians came to be. That is a fulfillment of prophecy. When the northern kingdoms were dispersed, I think it's Hosea promised them that they would eventually possess the gates of their enemy. And they did. And the historian Josephus, or Josephus, he records that when he's writing in the first century AD, we know where the northern tribes are. They live on the land in the lands beyond the river, the Euphrates River. That's what he's talking about. They are the Scythians who later become the Caucasians, who later become the red-headed Khazars or Khazars Jews or whatever the, the fake Jews of today. That's where they came from. The redheads, the Celtic people, the red hair is connected to the Hebrew people. 
especially in the lineage of David, David. Which is why you're going to have a lot of red-headed people in Ireland because the history of the world records that's where Jeremiah took the princesses and his scribe, the princess Telphi, where she reunited the two, the breach, uh, Tamara's children. Is it Tamara, I think? Yeah. Um, yeah, Tamara. The, the first baby, you know, the, the red band around it, it, its wrist, that's firstborn. That child moved to Ireland. That's recorded in Irish history. We know that. Secular, extra biblical, it records him. We know who he is. We know his lineage. We can trace him all the way back to the Holy Lands. Red hair. So when the other princess shows up, Hezekiah's daughter, she marries back into that family. And the Irish history records him showing up with the prophet and the scribe and the two princesses. And that is, and then they've got the Bethel stone with them. And that is how that Bethel stone ends up in the throne of England today. This is Jeremiah's three overturnings. He moves the crown to Ireland, then to Scotland, then to England, or at least he initiates what will eventually be the move. The nation of Israel is put back together there. Judah and um, Joseph are reunited, which could very well be Ezekiel 37 there, Charlie. But it's one of those ones that's beginning and hasn't completed, I think. I don't know. But all of this is in your Bible. And if you start tracing this, you know, First, they'll send fishers of men, which is exactly what Jesus told the apostles they're going to be. You're going to be fishers of men. This is a promise in Jeremiah. But then they're going to be hunters after the lost tribes. That's what we're doing for the last 150 to 200 years. We've been hunting the lost tribes. We've been hunting them through archaeology, through history, through linguistics, through DNA. That's what's going on here. So the Celts, they're connected to this. Their apostasy comes directly out of the northern kingdoms of Israel, the northern kingdom, the tribe. This is the divine divorce of Israel. Jeremiah, there are people in the Christian church who, this isn't there. It's not in the Bible. Fine. Jeremiah 3, verse 6 through 10. Faithless Israel. Then the Lord said to me in the days of King Uzziah, have you seen what faithless Israel did? This is the northern kingdom. She went up on every high hill and under every leafy tree, and she prostituted herself there. Apostasy. Yet I thought after she had done all these things, she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. See, proof. This is Yahweh speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He sees the two kingdoms as two different people, two different kingdoms, two different sisters. Yahweh continues. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went out and prostituted herself also. And because of the thoughtlessness of her prostitution, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Uh, worship of, of false gods, adultery, the harlot. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. He sent Israel away, dispersed into the nations. The two kingdoms, the two, these are your two witnesses. These are your two olive trees. These are your two lampstands. That right there, those are the two, that's the two tribes, the two houses, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Jesus acknowledges this. He says, I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
the house of Judah had no lost sheep. Everybody knew they were Jews. You don't have to go round up sheep that know who and where they are. He had to go to the sheep that had forgotten who they were. He tells us this. So if you're going to deny the two houses, you're denying the very words of Jesus. Hosea 7 through 8. Ephraim, who's the leader of the northern kingdom, he's part of Joseph. He is the birthright. Ephraim is himself uh, thrown about in the nations, scattered, sent away. Ephraim has become a round loaf, not turned. You can read that two ways. He's burned up. He no longer exists as a nation. He's scattered throughout the world. It can also mean that his story is not over. And it means probably both in this case. To the ends of the earth. We're still on track, folks. But what we're going to do here is we're going to stop. We're going to take our break here in just a moment. This is still going to be connected to... We're going to connect this to Christianity and Halloween. All of this. I'm going to connect all of this. This is not... uh, Un, it's not disassociated information. What I'm doing is I'm showing you the bigger picture, the picture that reaches thousands of years back into history. And Halloween is a result of it. And the Christian acceptance of it is a result of it. In short, what I'm showing you is the continued pattern of the Northern Kingdom falling into apostasy over and over and over again. Catholics fell into apostasy. The Protestant church pulled away in the Reformation to try and get back to its original gospel, and it fell into apostasy. The Hebrew Roots Movement has been trying to pull away from that and go back to the original gospel, the original first century church doctrines, and it has fallen into apostasy in the process. We are all part of the northern tribe, the house of Israel, grafted in. Just like Paul said, Israel, not the Jews, Israel's been blinded. So they don't know who they are, partially blinded, until all the Gentiles are grafted in. You're grafted in to the house with the, with the promise, with the, with the birthright, Ephraim, the lost house. You don't get grafted into Judah. If you get grafted into Judah, you become a Jew. If you call yourself Christians, you're grafted, in, you're grafted into the house of Ephraim. And that means Ephraim is partially blind, and so are you. But it also means you graft into a house that has a long tradition of repeatedly falling into into apostasy, pagan worship of other gods. And that's how Halloween is connected to all of this. I'm trying to show you the bigger picture. I'm trying to show you that this justification of pagan holidays in the Christian church, that's making the two bulls and the two high places in Samaria, and telling the people to worship there with the with the priesthood that Jeroboam made, that that's apostasy. This is Aaron making the bull, telling Israel, "Behold, Yah- Israel, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt." And then almost, if it hadn't been for Moses, that'd have got them all killed. You think the God who says, "I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow." I do not change. You think he's going to change the way he deals with us if we keep chasing after pagan ways? We'll see you in six minutes.
Okay, class, forgive me for a minute here for a second. I got some business to attend to. Uh, Natasha, Target, Road Dog on the board, uh, Fire for Effect. <laughs> Road Dog is getting a little snarky on the comment section in Rumble, and I just told Natasha to hell it, Roy, hell it, hell it. She's got it under control. All right, folks, we're going to just keep on going. I don't know if we'll get done. Well, I we should get done today. I'm, I'm moving along quicker than I thought I would, but where we left off. A lot of people will say, well, Joe, what's all this got to do with the Northern Kingdom being part of the Celtic people? You got no, uh, keep reading. Remember, I address everything from a biblical perspective. Well, this is all going to deal with the prophecies about Ephraim. And it, it's dealing with the fact that if you look at the world from a biblical perspective, people groups, tribes, you know, family groups, whatever, we all tend to have our prophetic natures. And it sticks with us forever and ever and ever. And Ephraim's prophetic nature is to be very industrious, hardworking, and to be very strong militarily and kicks at the boards. He has got to be free. He doesn't want people ruling over him. Well, if you watch, you're going to find that this is vestiges of Ephraim in France early on. But eventually Ephraim is going to also be up in the, in the Norse area, the uh, Saxon, you know, the Vikings and whatever. But it's going to center around England, Scotland, Ireland, they're all very militaristic, warlike nations. And then it's the United States and America, but it's also going to move to Australia to New Zealand. And if you look in history, these are the areas where the idea of liberty comes from. And before, when you think France, well, France, well, they used to be there. The, the Celtic people jumped off from France into England, but over the centuries, they keep moving ever westward, ever westward, ever westward to the point where now, you know, they got to uh, Australia and New Zealand. That's as far west as you can get with this stuff, right? Well, here's where we keep going to the ends of the earth. Deuteronomy 33 verses 16 through 17. And with the choice things of the earth and its full, this is the blessings to um, Jacob's sons says, with the choice things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let it come to the head of Joseph and to the top of the head of the one who was prince amongst his brothers. And the firstborn of his ox, majesty is his, and his horns are the horns of the wild ox. That's not unicorn. That's a bull. This is, instead of there being a unicorn in the, in the royal crest of England, it should have been a bull. The King James Bible mistranslates some of these things here as unicorn with them. He will gore the peoples all at once to the ends of the earth. And those are the 10 thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh or Manasseh folks. Ephraim is going to be pushed to the West, to the West, to the West, to the West until such time is there's only East. Well, and you follow the, the Celts move west, 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 west. The Celtic people are known by other names as well throughout time. Eventually, Ephraim awakens. This is a love story of how Yahweh redeems the unfaithful bride. That's the northern kingdom. Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. 
No, you Englishmen, you're not Ephraim and Manasseh. Yes, you are. No, America, you're not Hebrews. Yes, you are. The hunters have found you. This is all written 1,500 plus years ago. No, 3,500 plus years ago, excuse me. Some of this goes back 1,500 B.C. Hosea 2, uh, twenty verse 23. I will sow her for myself in the land, meaning Ephraim, sow her in the land, scatter her throughout the nations. I will also have compassion on her who had obtained compassion, who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The, the people who have been apostate, the, the northern tribe, will eventually return. This is the Christian church. This is the lost tribe and all the Gentiles grafted in. Now, back to the Druids. I put this out of what most people might think out of order for a reason. Definition. Druid. Charlie, you might want to pop on your mic. One of an order of priests or ministers of religion amongst the ancient Celts of Gauls and Britain. And I'm going to pop ahead here real quick to another slide real fast. I want us to read. I want to get Charlie in on this. And we'll go back again. Druids, they're from the tribe of Dan and Levi. This is from HebrewNation.com. The Druids and trees in Hebraic terms. A Druid, therefore, is a knower of an oak tree, also known as the forest sage. In the Anglo-Saxons, too, it's an identified word that means tree or truth. Charlie, why would knower of the oak tree ring to a Hebrew? <laughs> and not necessarily yeah, in a good way, is no, it? No, no, because that, that was... Uh... It, where it talks about under every leafy tree, yes, and those things were like that. Those trees, those were were um, worship areas for mm -hmm. pagan deities. We got to remember oaks of what was it in the Bible? Memra, Memre. Memre? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not necessary. At first, when Abraham shows up, Abram, Abraham, those are not good places where he where those oaks are at that place. Those are pagan worship sites. Yep. So, folks. Um, this is important. What's happening here with the Celts is they have, these are apostate Hebrews. Thanks, Charlie, who have reverted back to their ways of, of polytheism, paganism. And that has crept back into the church through Halloween, through Easter, through Christmas, through St. Val, you know, St. No, it's not a pagan holiday. It's yes, it is. Yes, it is. We'll get to that. From Britannica.com, the Druid, member of the learned class among the ancient Celts. They acted as priests, teachers, and judges. Priests, rabbis, and judges. Okay, they're filling the same role as the, the priesthood in, in, in the Hebrew world. The earliest known records of the Druids come from the 3rd century B.C., their name may have come from the Celtic word meaning knower of the oak tree. Probably has. Very little is known for certain about the Druids who kept no records of their own. According to Julius Caesar, who is the principal source of information about the Druids, there were two groups of men in Gaul that were held in honor, the Druids and the noblemen, the equites. See, Gaul. Oh, wow. Now the Celts are Gauls. France. A lot of times the Celtic people are known by their regional name, Gauls. Also, um, 
what was the ancient name for what became the Germanic people? Um, there was another name for them too, but essentially the Celts are all these different people. Okay. Caesar related that the Druids took charge of the public and private sacrifices, just like they the priests would in, in Israel. And many young men went to them for instruction, going to the head of the gates of the of the towns in the Bible to get, get your judgment from the judges. They judged all the public and private quarrels and decreed and penalties. If anyone disobeyed their decree, he was barred from the sacrifice, which was considered the gravest of punishments. That's parallel to the Hebrew world. One Druid was made the chief. Upon his death, another was appointed. This one here is not a yearly chief priest, but you got a chief Druid. You're going to find a similar parallel to this in the Saxon world too, in the, in the Norsemen, in the, in the Vikings. And Jefferson noted that as well. Well, that's because the Norsemen, we're going to, we're going to handle this Thursday. The Vikings, the Nordic people, the Saxons, the Anglo-Saxons, the Celts, they're all the same people. It's just over time they acquire different names. And the, the easiest one, we can trace this, the Saxons come from the Celts. Why is that important? Because Saxon is just a variation of the name Isaac. What? Yes, language is more important than skin color. We're tracing through language. We'll get to that Thursday. So if, however, several were equal in merit, a Druid voted, although blah, 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 blah. That's how the Druids worked. But uh, once a year, the Druids assembled at a sacred place in the territory of the Carnutes, which was believed to be the center of all Gaul and all legal disputes were submitted to the judgment of the Druids. Also, Druids in Israel from Hebrew nations. Among the Jews of Judah, we find the social class of the Pharisees and sages. The so-called Celts of Britain, Ireland, and Gaul had the Druids. From a sociological point of view, many parallels exist between the sages and the Druids. Originally, they had both belonged to the same class of officers and captains that administered the oral traditions among the Hebrews. When the ten tribes separated themselves from Judah to the northern section became Druids, while those who remained developed into sages. In the end times, Judah and the ten tribes shall reunite. Okay. I know that it is a fallacy to say that just because they're similar, they came from each other. Unless, of course, I have other connections, like linguistics, like archaeology, like I can trace the geographical migration through archaeology, like I have written records that trace all this stuff. And in our case, I have prophecies that tell us what to look for. It's no longer a fallacy. It is now a theory that can be tested and has been. And this will be the subject of Thursday, Throwback Thursday. We are going to start a cursory look at the migrations of the peoples that came out of Israel over the centuries, over the eons, the millennia, and how they created the Western world and large parts of what we think of as the Near East and how they have driven world history ever since exactly the way the Bible told us they would. They go all the way to, uh, to the nation of India and into the Solomon Islands but mostly they go west. Remember Paul tried to go to the east several times. The spirit of Jesus prevented him, kept pushing him west, west, west. Prophecy. So is it possible the Druids may have been connected to the Levites? Very likely, or at least to the priesthood that Joab Aram created. Yeah. 
So, which is going to circle us back to Halloween, celebrating death, paganism, the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. This is another story where I think we should peruse through it a little bit. This one's a little harsh in my estimation, but not necessarily wrong in what it's doing. Uh, that's not going to work. So let's go here. So says, uh, every year from October 31st to November 2nd, many Mexicans don festive costumes and paint their faces to resemble skulls. They also build elaborate altars, ofrendas, I guess, for honoring the dead. A typical ofrenda will be decorated with candles, sugar skulls, food offerings, and pictures of the deceased, all surrounded by orange marigolds. The flowers are said to attract the, the departed souls to the altar, allowing the dead and the living to celebrate together. The origin of Mexico's Dias de la Muertes, Day of the Dead, goes back some 3,000 years to the Aztecs, who honored the deceased by providing them food, water, and tools for their difficult journey through the afterlife. With the coming of the Spanish conquistadors in the 16th century, the Aztec tradition became overshadowed by two Catholic holidays, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, celebrated respectfully on the first and second days of November. Today, nearly every country in the world has a holiday that can be traced to an earlier culture's misunderstanding of death should Christians be involved in these pagan traditions. Okay, let's skip trick-or-treat. Let's skip pagans amongst us. Let's go to the deeper issue. We're going to skip Christian holidays. In this case, I'm going to go to the deeper issue. Everybody has a day where they worship the dead or honor or remember the dead, day of the dead. Even the Catholics came up with that. Well, that's a Christian holiday, Joe, because we're honoring the dead. Okay, pay attention. These folks got a, uh, they dug up a gem here, a diamond. It's a diamond in the rough. They didn't polish it. Let's see if we can put a little polish on this. When it comes to holidays with pagan roots, the deeper issue for Christians should be the pagan view of the afterlife, the immortality of the soul. This view originated with the serpent when he said, you shall not surely die, Genesis 3, 4. Yet despite the overwhelming evidence in scripture that death is a dreamless sleep from which we awake at one of the resurrections, Daniel 12, 2 and John 5, 28, 29, there's actually only one resurrection, folks, but let's not worry about that. One physical resurrection. Many Christians still hold a belief that was adopted by the medieval church from Greco-Roman culture. When God said, you shall surely die, Genesis 2, 17, which began to happen when he separated from the tree of life, Genesis 3, 22 through 24, it became evident that he alone has immortality, God alone, 1 Timothy 6, 16. This is why Christians should reject holidays like the Day of the Dead and Halloween. If the soul does not die, Ezekiel 18.20, but continues living apart from the body, the possibility of communicating with these souls, something the body strongly condemns, the Bible rather strongly condemns, Leviticus 26, becomes an enticing deception. The day of the dead, according to its celebrants, is the only time of the year that you can visit the deceased relatives. Halloween takes a different approach, with its sinister spirits haunting the living. Either way, Demons are given the opportunity to impersonate departed people. Why is all this important? The pagan polytheistic world, let me dump that, has this central idea that you continue living when you die. It's not what the Bible teaches. Well, let's set that aside for a minute. It, it may have changed at the cross, maybe. More than likely, you are, 
your understanding of time changed at the cross. But set that aside. The idea that your spirit goes on living after your dead body is Gnosticism. It's Gnostic. It's one of the apostasies that the apostles are busy fighting in the New Testament. It's one of the chief apostasies. It's a Greek apostasy. It also goes back to Jewish Kabbalism. Halloween is connected to that. If you adopt that thinking and imagery into your religion, you've become a Samaritan. And Jesus rejects you. He rejected the Samaritan woman. You Samaritans don't know who you worship. You don't know what you worship. That's what's going on here. Believers are adopting pagan ways into their faith. There's no different than a, a biblical idol. You carve yourself a little something, you decorate it with silver and gold, you open the eyes and the mouth, you invite your God to live in it, and now you get to control it. You get to control God, your God, your idol God. That is not scriptural. It's not. I know that a lot of Christians want to defend this stuff, but you're either going to follow the rule book or you're not. So why do Christian holidays have pagan roots? When trying to convert people from pagan religion to Christianity, they noticed some pushback when it came to certain traditions and pagan holidays, so they tried to compromise and give them the best of both worlds. Again, here's another story we want to look through. This one is from Christianity.com. We already read that little thing there. It says, it, it, it seems we cannot have a Christian holiday without it getting tangled in with some pagan origins. Isn't this the nature of Israel throughout the Bible? The, the whole of Israel, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, rather? For instance, in the case of Christmas, the tree does have some pagan roots. Some? Some? The Oaks of Memory? No, 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 no. The tree is pagan through and through in this way. So the, although argued against in this Crosswalk article, and Crosswalk, it links you to, Halloween and All Saints Day seem to get mixed up with uh, Samhain, or Samhain, rather, a pagan tradition and holiday that falls around this time, Halloween. And we probably shouldn't even mention Easter and Valentine's Day, both of which seem to have insidious roots in elements such as the Easter eggs and the rather gross Roman holiday associated with the latter holiday known as Lupercilia. Y yeah, we'll get into that sometime. How do we end up in this mess? It seems like even our most important holidays, Christmas and Easter, are not devoid of some pagan interlinking or origin. In this article, we'll explain how pagan Christian holidays got intertwined, what and if the Bible has anything to say about it, and what this means for us today. Here's the important part. How did pagan and Christian traditions intermix? First, we should note that Christians did not steal all pagan holidays and turn them into Christian ones. In the case of the history of Halloween, All Saints, for instance, the timeline was created. Who gets really the timeline gets really dicey as we've covered some of that. The problem is that they moved All Saints Day to November 1st to incorporate Halloween. They did that on purpose. It says, but we can also make note of the cases where pagan traditions seep in, that we can identify origins of these and decide on a case-by-case -case basis if we'll keep certain elements in our holidays or celebrate them. However, we would be remiss to think that the church did not try to harmonize some pagan and Christian holidays that occur during the same time of the year. Enough right there. That's all I need. If you're trying to mix Satan with God, 
It doesn't work. Got one more passage for you. For what does the righteous and the wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can the light have with the darkness? Therefore, come out of them from them. Be separate, says Yahweh. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 17. Be holy because I am holy, 1 Peter 1, 16. And then, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, the law is dead, Joe. Fine, I got one for you from the New Testament. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of Yahweh's table and the table of devils. 1 Corinthians 10.21, not the old dead law of Moses. Paul, how do you mix pagan traditions and call it a Christian holiday and think that you are not eating at the table of Satan, Satan? We just call it a fall festival instead, Joe. How very Woodrow freaking Wilson of us. Y'all get this yet? I'll see it. You want to know how one of the, if you read through the links I provide you in the homework today, especially on the, on the, the traditions of, uh, Halloween, you know, Halloween. One of the ones is they, they've got a legend of, um, demons running around holding their heads under their arm. Does that sound familiar? Ichabod, the legend of sleepy hollow, the headless horseman. Where do you think that comes from? Those people moved over here. Remember when Israel, the, the, the atheists like to give us a hard time about this. God commanded the extermination of the Canaanites. Y'all beginning to figure out why? Charlie, pop in here. I, I, want, I want a little help discussing this one. So what happens, according to Yahweh, if Israel doesn't totally exterminate the Canaanites? What are the Canaanites going to become? They're going to be a thorn in their side. and Forever and ever, right? Forever, forever, yep. And this is where all of this pagan worship comes from in Israel. The Druidism and everything comes from the Canaanite practices. Yeah. So wherever we find Yahweh's people, God's people today, guess what we're going to find? We're find it. And it's going to be constant. Didn't he tell us not to marry into the Canaanite women because we wouldn't convert them, they'd convert us? Yep. You're following the prophetic natures. So I didn't think I'd get through this today, Charlie, but... You did good. Let me ask you, Charlie, did I connect the big picture? Oh yeah, you did. You did a great job, and have I some stuff that I hadn't thought about? So, <laughs> folks on the board, if you're listening, have I convinced you yet, or or at least given you food for thinking on this? Do you understand that you cannot Christianize a pagan holiday, not and follow the rule book? And I gave you a a New Testament commandment, didn't I? And this goes back millennia. Yes. Is this not a New Testament commandment? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You can't have the things of Yahweh and the cup of devils. You can't have the things of Satan as well. You cannot be partakers of God's table and the table of the of the of the Satan. You can't do this. So that's a New Testament commandment, is that not, Charlie? That's that's New Testament, right? That's that's New Testament. So if I'm that's Christian, I, I I gotta listen to this, right? Um, well you supposed to well that's also just restating deuteronomy and numbers isn't it well yeah <laughs> okay so i have Paul consistency did. from old and new testament the concept the concept traces from front to rear yahweh hasn't changed 
if we change him, the Messiah is going to come tell us, you know, hey, man and woman of Samaria, you 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 idiots don't know what you're worshiping. How many times I've got? I left you scripture. But but Joe, we we've cast out demons in his name, and we've done miracles in his name, and we've done all these wonderful things. And be gone from uh, you, me rather. I never knew you. And what does he mean by I never knew you? You never obeyed. You didn't love him. Remember, Jesus tells us that if you're going to follow him, if the world's going to hate you. Well, that's back to our original slide. Halloween, that night that his people become worldly. That's not just backsliding. That's going back to where you came from, in which case you can't twice crucify Christ. Are we not now, Charlie, skating at breakneck speed on that razor's edge of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Because once the truth's been revealed to you, if you go back to that pagan stuff, there's nothing left for you, is there? Well, I mean, that that's the hardest part that we, we got to do. I mean, if you... If the truth is presented before you and you don't choose to move to align yourself with truth, you be in trouble. At least that's my opinion. And that's how I see it too, which is folks, that concept right there and scriptural. That's also, if, if, if you want to vote lesser devil GOP, where's the internet? Yeah. We're waiting to be interrupted (laughs) automatically here. Nice Iceman move. Yeah. So if you want to vote that thinking because you're voting for the lesser devil, you're still voting for a devil. So you've, you've sided with evil. So like if, if you're the good Nazi, you've still sided with the Nazis. So y'all understand what we're trying to say here. You, You cannot. The lesser of the two evils is still evil, evil. And I was going to quote last week, yesterday, rather when we got cut off by the internet, (laughs) <laughs> Noah Webster said, always vote conscience. Because that way, though, you vote alone, you vote in truth and integrity. But what he's saying is you can you can account for your vote before the Savior on, on Judgment Day. And you, you keep your own integrity. You keep your own peace of mind. You keep joy that you didn't compromise yourself. And let's see if I get us booted. But that that's something I learned from you is, you know, when you got only two choices on the ballot, an R and a D, and neither one of them are not well, voting for either is a vote. Not voting is for a vote. either is a vote. It's neither of the above. That's right. Well, if we're going to get back our, get ourselves back to scriptural things with Halloween, if you just change the name to Fall Festival and you're still running around in costumes, <laughs> talking about spirits and stuff, you haven't changed Jack. You're That's the spirit of progressivism. Yes. Put candy in the That's the spirit of progressivism. <laughs> Giving out those treats and candies. We've already covered that before. That's the spirit of the prince who is to come. He will give a great will give away great wealth. That is not a Hebrew tradition. That is a Middle Eastern tradition of the pagan world. Yes, ma'am. Um, question slash slight rabbit. Mm-hmm. There's a I forget exactly which verse, but it talks about not being careful about not observing the wrong times and seasons and days and all does this Mm. involve like when we say fall festival could it also mean like not what this is 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 i i don't know what verse you're you're hitting at there natasha but i do know this 
I think she's talking about changing the times and the seasons. Yeah, but that's something that the prince who is to come is going to do. Okay, never mind. I and think I just the, no, but video. you're on to it though, because when you when you substitute Easter in place of Passover, you've changed the time. When you substitute Halloween and Thanksgiving in place of trumpets and um, tabernacles, you've changed the times. You've changed the Moedim. When you add Christmas instead of something, you know, in, instead of one of the other feasts that Yahweh appointed, you've changed the times. You've diverted. And when you say that the laws of the scripture no longer apply, you've changed the law. You've done exactly what the, the spirit of Antichrist, the prince who is to come, is going to do. And the church has incorporated all of this. The church is apostate. That is the great harlot riding on the beast. That is clear in the, in the prophetic language. That is very clear. And we are told, come out of her. Don't partake in her judgment, in her in her abominations. <sighs> Natasha, you remember this. And folks, just a um, you can just sit there if you want, Charlie. It's up to you. But Natasha, you remember for the board, as I was learning to become a teacher of, of scripture, I wrestled with our the last church. Natasha and I both came out of there. Um I clashed heads with the pastor. I said, why are we spending so much money on this fall festival that we do every year on Halloween night? And they were like, that's our greatest outreach. We get the most people here. And I asked him, I said, in three years that you've done this, how many people have been saved out of it? Crickets. There wasn't one. And the church was spending $15,000, $20,000 a year on that festival. A year. And not one soul, not one person joined the church out of it that they could remember. And I asked him, I said, it's unfruitful for a reason. But it's for the kids, Joe. But it was unfruitful for a reason. It was dedicated to Satan. Yahweh's not going to bless that. The kids are going to have fun. What you're teaching the kids is it's okay to be worldly and still call yourself a believer. So they can do everything in Jesus' name, but at the end of time, he's going to tell them, I never knew you. This is serious stuff, it's free folks. Candy. Yeah, I know. But this is, to, to me, to me, others might disagree. But to me, this is serious. This is the rule book of the creator of the universe. You're isn't, either on Team Yahweh or you're not. Isn't there a verse saying something about if you leave, if you cause a children, little children to yes. stumble, it's if better you for cause a millstone? the stumble. It'd be better that a millstone be yeah. tied around your neck and you cast into the I ocean. I just read that like last night or the night before. Yeah. So yeah, when we too. justify <laughs> paganism in the church, folks, when the church invite the same church that Natasha and I came out of, they used to have these beautiful stained glass windows. They painted them over black and they, they took the lights and they dimmed all the lights in the sanctuary so that they could do their, their, it was better televised ministry. It was better lighting for the, and it was all this music. They were putting on a show where they had black. They did not see the spiritual significance of blacking it. They literally painted the windows black. You blacked out the spirit. And they're telling themselves it's for their internet ministry. You knock the spirit out of your, out of your sanctuary and you think you're, who are you ministering to now? And they don't see this. They don't understand this. And I tried to bring this. I got chased out of that congregation. I got chased out of that church for simply asking biblical questions. It, it's either the rule book or it isn't. You either follow it or you don't. You do not 
invite into your church a demon and then expect the Holy Spirit to continue living there because you invited the demon in. Remember what happens if I clean out my sanctuary and I get rid of all the demons and I don't stick with the Lord and the demon comes back, he invites how many more? Seven more? Yep. And you're worse off than you were before? So when the Lord purges your saint, you know, purges your congregation and you're all got the Holy Spirit and you get together and then you invite the demons back in, he leaves, the Holy Spirit leaves and you get seven more and you're worse than you were before. Yeah. It's like the last time, last time I was in a church on. Yes, Marianne, you can eat the candy. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happened. They turned off all the lights in the, in the, what they called the cultural hall and the, the, the youth teenagers and stuff did a presentation of michael jackson's thriller and full costume and everything else and everyone from the the bishop the pastor of the congregation all the way down were praising the youth and how what a wonderful display my stomach turned i was i was i was physically sick after that experience and i'm like never again yep that was the last time i did anything associated with halloween Dip by DDT says, Jesus said, once you put your hands on the plow, if you look back, you're not, you're not worthy of him. Chocolate's the best, Marianne. What the (laughs) heck? Marianne doesn't like chocolate. What? Well, as long as she still likes. She's a woman, isn't she? I mean, at least, well, I know my wife. well, you know, my, my wife to do just about anything. I remember the commercials. It's, it's chocolate <laughs> and peanut butter. As long as you put a little peanut I, butter, you're good to go. Oh, yeah, I, I think y'all misread her comment. She said, other than chocolate, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, so, uh, these I, old I men can't her. read. Okay, good. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> my stereotype still applies then. She likes right. chocolate. So <laughs> this is my recording. This This is my my report. Hey, Road Dog, that was my thesis on the history of Halloween. Yes, Tip, that that was Road Dog. So, um, right on. Hopefully, I brought you something that was you're going to be able to use, and it's helpful. Uh, we're going to do this same thing with Christmas when we get closer oh, to Christmas. But comments are fun today. Yeah, the comments are fun. That's okay. We we've done the serious part now. We can have fun and cut up. You know, it's toward the end of class. It's cut up time. If you've got any questions with our topic getting thrown up on the board but thursday i want to do more work on tracing the the origins of the celtic people um i'm, I'm going to hit on that and it's i'm going to hand you a lot of threads on thursday we won't be able to trace it all down but i'm going to hand you a ton of threads and rabbits to chase on your own time if you want um going to be a heavy bibliography on thursday tomorrow wednesday worship wednesday we're going to discuss getting, if you're going to, okay, we've gotten up to which which copy of the scriptures, how can we rely on them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. You've decided the scriptures, you're going to study them. You're going to accept them. All right. Next time, next thing you got to do first, before you get going, you got to put yourself in the sandals of the prophets in, in the first uh, century audience. You've got to put yourself in the times, culture, mindset, thinking, language. That's what we're going to cover tomorrow. How you do that, why it's so important, some of the tools available to you. And uh, Thursday, Thursday will be a continuation of today, and it'll be tangentially linked to other scriptural teachings. You'll see some of the slides from today's show again on Thursday, but we're going to talk about that. Friday, I still have no idea. I have not wanted to cover the founders or, or logic lately. 
Friday might be just another cut up day. Um, Friday might be the day we celebrate our 300th episode. Tomorrow's our 300th episode. We might just celebrate that on Friday and cut up again. Um, cause Thursday I'll have too much. Then I want to make sure we get done. Um, but that's what's planned for the rest of this week. And I have had some decent feedback from some of you as to the nature of the show and how we're doing things. And Charlie and Natasha and I have been discussing this. It, it we'll see. It might, it might just get that I keep worship Wednesday. We do one teaching day. We, we, we do a political day and we do a cut up, you know, whatever. I might have to just mix in two lighthearted, humorous days where I don't have to do as much prep work. That that might be the solution, but we'll we'll let you know as soon as we come to a come to a decision on that. I got to lighten the load at night. I, I, this show today took me about seven hours to put together because I read everything that's in your homework before I posted it, and I read through for everything that hits your homework. You know your show notes for every link you see up there. I've read two or three more that didn't make it. So yeah, <laughs> there was some research done there, boys and girls. You better keep Worship Wednesday. Worship yeah. Wednesday is not going anywhere. No, if going I quit nowhere. Worship Wednesday, I lose Natasha and Charlie. <laughs> you, you quit Worship Wednesday, show's over. <laughs> yes. So it's not going anywhere. Um, and I've heard back from several folks that apparently the new format works just well, where I blend my biblical worldview into the things we're teaching, and I just swirl it all together and make it make it work. That seems to be doing good for everybody. So we're going to keep going. Um. oh yes i see that dip we'll be praying for that we'll do that yeah um otherwise i think we're about done for the day i didn't expect to get i talked too fast yeah you you did talk pretty fast i mean you i was clicking i mean we're we're close to being two hours but you know so we're clip well beverly put something up here beverly um whoops that's not what i was after sorry marianne the board moved on me just as Beverly, the, what I'm trying to do with uh, Beverly Dalton coming on the board. She says, yeah, I started just on Wednesday and now it's every day. Cause I learned so much when we changed the, the format the, again here just a few months ago, and, and it should be the last time I do that. I just quit up until that time for almost a year. I'd been throttling myself. There, there's many, many times where I wanted to mix scripture into the class and I didn't do it. Cause you know, I don't, I didn't want to offend parts of the audience or whatever, but I just, I threw that away. I, if I want to pop you in the pew now, I just do it. Hopefully the goal, the idea is to show you that the faith of the Bible is alive and, and, and applicable to our day to day. And it's like a uh, secret squirrel was telling me just the other yesterday. I think he says, I have done a, in Charlie's echoed this too. I do a good job showing you that the problems we have today are the exact same problems they had in the Bible. We just let our technology in the in the the year on the calendar get in our way. And we we let it convince us that, well, because we've got airplanes, it's different. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. The problem's the same. The way we think about it and the way we tackle it might be different. Nothing new but, under the sun. Yes, nothing new under the sun. And I try hard to blend it all together. And it, it, another show, Friday might be the good show to do this one, Charlie, but I was telling Charlie like the, the show I did on time, how I see the universe that day. I explained time and dimensions to you folks. I don't know how many of you caught on to this, but I was just explaining the spiritual world and how I understand the entire universe. I don't think that's fictional for me in my head. That's the way everything I know and, and have learned in my life fits. 
So I was just explaining to you my way of looking at all of this stuff. I put it in a way that was entertaining, but what I have to do to you for you now is, and, and I might explain time in a different way, this time history. I might have to, Friday, we might go over a part of that, show you how I understand history. I don't know how many of you have realized this, but I tend to look at history from Adam to Revelation, what I expect, you know, on the second coming and the remaking of the world as one big giant mosaic picture. And, and I swallow it that, it that way. Too, yeah, I, I know, Yahweh. <laughs> but I swallow it that way. And I used to always think everybody could do that. And I'm coming to the realization now in my life that there are very few people who can swallow it that way. Most of us have to compartmentalize everything into little, little sections. But as soon as you do that, you divorce all the pieces of the puzzle from each other. One of the purposes of this show is to connect them again and to show you how it's all connected. People like to talk about, well, we're all connected in one big world. Well, yeah, but stop talking about it as though you're not saying you are and acting like you're not. Walk the walk. So part of what we're trying to do here is show you how everything blends together, how today is driven by yesterday. Um, you know, the average person probably was wondering, where the heck is he going with this Celtic thing? What's that got to do with Halloween? Okay, yeah, so, you know, we get the practice of Halloween from them, but why are you going all the way back to Hebrews? Because that's where a lot of, that's where your Druids come from. And your Druids, you do realize that your Druids become your Nordic gods as well. Thor and all those, those are just, those are just Norsemen's versions of the Roman gods. And the Roman gods are versions of the Greek gods. And the Greek gods are versions of the Pantheon in the Middle East, which is the fallen angels. And we are right back in Enoch. But because you're looking at Thor, you don't see Zeus. And that's who Zeus is. And because you are looking at Zeus, you don't see Azazel or Azazel. What? Yeah. So because I changed the name, how very progressive, you think we're dealing with something entirely different. So all I have to do is take that pagan holiday Halloween and call it Christian Fall Worship Day and everything's fine. Or change the name from Samhain to Halloween. And now it's Christian. Yeah. And even Halloween was pagan in the beginning with, because the word, the, the, the day, excuse me, a day set aside for the dead is Gnosticism, paganism, paganism. So there we go. Okay. Just a few minutes early. We're going to cut out of here. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Natasha. Hey, the internet stayed up today. Yep. Um, if you like what we are doing here on the show, please hit the thumbs up or the rumble up button. Those are just for Natasha and I and Charlie. It tells us we're doing a good job personally here, us. We know we're not the most produced program in the world, but I actually don't want lots of spinning thing, wheels and bells in the background. I don't want it looking that produced. This is a conscious choice, folks. I also don't want to look like some Joe Friday who turned on his, his camera in his truck. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a style that they choose for those. I, I get that. I understand that. That's... I wanted you to realize that if we want to, we have the capacity to overproduce this thing. It's just more work that goes nowhere. We're going to put the effort into the quality and the material we're presenting to you. So if we're presenting material that's valuable that you think others can benefit from, share that with them directly. Send them the link. Ask them to watch. When you do that, when Charlie tells you I'm an acquired taste, he's not joking. If you've been here any length of time, you've understood that. 
some of you have visited, you realize that in person, I'm a little bit different than I am on the screen. You're still weird. I'm still weird, but I'm not wearing the hat of a teacher when I'm in person. I'm wearing the hat. I'm, I'm doing a role here. And when I teach, I'm very unforgiving. Marianne can attest to this and give me a second witness on this one. I've never been forgiving when it comes to right and wrong. It's black and white in my world. So a lot of that is what you see on the screen. How are you so sure of yourself, Joe? Follow along. When you tell people to come watch the show, tell them you need to give it a week or two. Because it builds on itself. But follow along. Like Charlie was saying earlier today. You know, I told him, be careful. Don't become a fanboy. Don't just take everything I say. And uh, <laughs> Charlie's like, nope, I've tried to prove you wrong. He says, I haven't been able to do it yet. That's why I'm so apparently Black cocky. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I don't see it as cocky. I know what I know, and I know why I know it. And as soon as you show me I was wrong, I will apologize. I will tell everybody I was wrong. I'll change it, and I'll move immediately. And if, oh, oh, we have a call. Who's our caller? Good morning, caller. You're on Do the you air. Do need to play your intro? Oh, it's Jimmy Zinker. Good morning this morning. No, there ain't nothing today that makes me angry. <laughs> How are we doing, Jimmy? Um, I'm doing well, buddy. Doing well. How, have you ever actually been asked that, Joe, about the, the things that you say in these conversations? How are you so sure of yourself? Yes, I've had people ask me that a lot. Okay. And I always hand it's, them the thread that if they were to go Tracy down, they'd find exactly what I told them they would find. And more. Well, just tell them, just tell them it's, it's called a conviction. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Uh, sir, it's sir, ca- it's called a conviction. A okay. <laughs> Do what? Are you trying to say he's a convict? <laughs> no. That joke won't go oh, over no, with no. Jimmy. He's the, a the, jury, the, the, the conviction <laughs> is based on the jury's conclusion. Yes. The jury comes to the conviction. A well, convict has been convicted. A conviction is a verb. <laughs> it's the thought it's the final result of a of a thought process affirming the knowledge resulting from that thought process. Don't For try example, to joke with Jimmy. <laughs> if I'm walking down the road and I see a bird light in the tree above me and I look at it, it's got a white feathered head and a, a white feathered tail and the rest of it's brown and it's got talons and a crooked bill and it's a bird of prey. It's an eagle, right? Yeah, That's a up. conviction. There's no amount of disbelief or claiming to the contrary that is going to change the reality that that is an eagle. It's a conviction. I'm not arrogant for holding to it. People confuse what arrogance is. Very good, Jimmy. Charlie tried to mess with you. I knew what he he just stepped on a landmine. I got back. I got (laughs) away from Jimmy. I I love what you just did. I, I, I'm not going to mess with no, Jimmy No, I've thought again. this stuff through before I go public with it. And if you hear me starting to get real, real quiet, you're taking me into a domain I haven't thought about and not knowledgeable about. I will not open my mouth and make a fool of myself. I can attest to that. That's, that's how you and I, our conversations go, Jimmy. So, uh-huh. hey, I was going to ask you, how are the fish doing out there in the world? You catching anything? Like um, it, it, yes, it's slow right now. I went out yesterday evening. I got two strikes and that was it. Yeah, uh, I've heard fish that till a little bit after dark and it didn't even feel right. So dad, I just aborted the emission and went home. It seems to be everywhere. My dad said they had the same problem. They couldn't get anything the last couple of times they went fishing. Oh uh, Yeah. We're, we're going through that fall, that fall transition. They can be caught. You just have to change up your tactics. And I'm a top water guy. Yeah. You know, I want to catch them on that top water stuff, you know, or I want to go do something else. No, dude, you got to fish so, my way. 
you know, you want to argue, you want to fish. Throw the dynamite, Jack. <laughs> I know that story. <laughs> All right, guys. You got anything else for us, Jimmy? Uh, yep. No, that just that just touched me when you said that. How can you be so sure of yourself, Joe? And I've heard you say that a lot. And I've, you know, I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me of in that way. They'll say something like, "Oh, well, where did you get your constitutional scholarship degree?" To which I always respond, "I have no desire to go somewhere that's going to teach me how to weave ambiguity into into uh, complicated principles like shall not be infringed." Yes. I love that. You know, <laughs> I can study the document myself and I've got enough sense to get familiar enough with it to be able to understand what it means. Up until the 13th Amendment, it was written in simple English. Yes, sir, it was. And it was meant to be understood by an eighth grade gr uh, graduate. Of course, back then, the eighth yes, grade was college level today so you know and it might be a good it might be a good subject for you to do a show on but I've, i'm always perplexed why it is i'm told that ignorance of the law is no excuse but i can't do anything connected to law without i'm having to pay some qualified professional 300 dollars an hour to do it for me that's because we the should bar took that all over. be able huh the bar took that over you know that that they had the laws passed that you have to be that's just a co-op that right there is an usurpation of the union known as the bar. Yep. It's a well, civilian see, they, they organization that, that forced of itself no on the court. They give it to us in Latin. Yep. No, I got you. you know, well, that's we should the all be able to go before the judge and defend ourselves on a simple Jimmy, that's the legal without priesthood. Without all that, that jargon. Yes, but that's the legal priesthood. That's why the priests read the scriptures in Latin. You needed the priest to interpret everything. Mm -hmm. That's the That's just a legal priesthood. You have to have the priests. Uh-huh. It's it, a farce is yes, what it is. it is. It is. It's a perversion of justice. You got guys yes, on Rumble uh, giving you fishing advice there, Jimmy. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> the guys on Rumble are giving you fishing advice. If you're on oh. Rumble telling Jimmy how to fish, you're probably backing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're backing up. Like I said, I'm a topwater guy. Yeah. I can go out there today with my shadow crank and fish in 20 foot of water, and I can do just as good as you see me do fishing at night with that jitterbug. Yep. See, for those on Rumble that don't know me, I have caught and released just this year 17 bass over seven pounds, the biggest being 813. I know what I'm doing. There's just things show. that I just don't care to do. I understand. All right, we brother. should have Jimmy on for a fishing show. <laughs> well, the next time he's in town, we'll have to just throw him on. Yeah. Let us uh, let us get ourselves going here, Jimmy. We're going to wrap up for the day and call it quits. But I'm having so much fun. I know. I know. But the <laughs> clock is ticking on me. I got to go get the truck worked on today, man. All right, bro. Go Thanks. get it. Bye-bye. All right, guys. We appreciate it. We thank every, every each and every one of you. Yes, ma'am. Hurry up. Let's go. I'm sorry. Just real quick. If any of y'all are struggling with what we just learned about Halloween and everything, believe me, I understand. Oh, yeah. When we met Big Natasha, time. she was goth. She was all into that jack hold with up, hold skeleton. Up, hold up. I wasn't, okay, first off, I wasn't that goth, okay? You want to be goth or you want to be a furry? <laughs> I'll take goth. All right, there we go. <laughs> but you've been cured of that. You didn't own clothes that weren't black. Uh, 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 the only color on your clothing was the pictures on the front of your shirt. 
I mean, true. I do add a little more gray uh, nowadays. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there that <laughs> I get it. Believe me. And yeah, I, I've only wonderful. quit like a couple years ago. So, yeah, I, I'm with there. I, I understand. So, yeah. And then, now I'm just rambling. So. Boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We love you. We take care of you. Y'all take care. We'll see you tomorrow, man. Worship Wednesday tomorrow. Bye-bye.